Chris Pardee is the Brunel Alumni Association representative in Singapore. He has spent over 40 years working in the commodities industry, spending 20 years with one company, working in the UK, Switzerland and Germany. His move to Singapore saw him eventually being in the right place at the right time, co-investing in a company and taking the role of CEO director. After cashing in, again at the right time, he is currently head of agribusiness at R1 International. The banks like to spread their risk. I think our peak, we were borrowing around $350 million. After cashing in, again at the right time, he is currently head of agribusiness at R1 International. From the beginning, he has been a sports enthusiast, starting as captain of the Brunel University football team and member of the cricket team. He now makes time to watch sports of all kinds. He links his work, love of sport, Brunel Alumni Association and current students to his charity work as trustee with the Bali Sports Federation. So it's basically been my initiative with Brunel, but it's partly what the university alumni is looking to achieve in terms of providing work experience opportunities for students. This conversation is the fourth of a new venture with the Brunel Alumni Association Singapore. The format is based on Entrepreneurs in Action and we are looking to evolve it into a standalone podcast series focused on Brunel alumni based in Singapore. Send your ideas and suggestions to me on LinkedIn or in person at the next Brunel Alumni Association meetup in Singapore. So now, without further delay, let's begin. Chris Pardee, can you just introduce yourself? I'm uh, Chris Pardee. I graduated from Brunel in 1985. I've got more than 40 years' experience in the uh, commodity business uh, since 2005, living in Singapore. Very passionate sports fan and uh, get involved in uh, charitable sports activities in uh, Indonesia and Singapore. I've been the representative of Brunel alumni in Singapore since 2015 when it was first set up. You've lived in a few other countries. Can you just tell us where you've lived? I lived in the UK all of my school and university career. Then in 1988, I moved to Geneva with Cargill. Then came back to the UK for the early 90s. Then went to Germany in 98, Geneva again in 99, and then moved to Singapore in 2005. So I left the UK in 99 and have been outside since then. So was there any reason why you chose to have an international career? No, it was job opportunities. I was working with a multinational company, Cargill, and uh, had opportunities to move to Germany and, uh, and Geneva. And then in 2005, I was keen to experience Asia. So I changed companies and moved to Singapore with uh, Noble Group. You mentioned that you're a keen sports person. So can you just tell us some of the sports that you've played or you watch or what's your involvement in sport? At Brunel, I was very active in the, the football and cricket. I was captain of the, the football team for a few years, and I've kept that passion going ever since. And, uh, and cricket, I've, I've been playing ever since, still relatively active playing cricket. I've, uh, and I run a football team in Singapore called the British Exiles. So those are the two main sports. But I'll get involved in, in anything. In, uh, we, we do wheelchair rugby and wheelchair basketball with the uh, disability sports, boccia, follow rugby. I'm currently watching netball in Singapore. 
any sport, uh, particularly with a ball, I'm, uh, I'm keen to participate and, uh, and support. So what position did you play? I was a defender, central defender. Were you uh, one of those defenders that, uh, how, how can I politely put it, intimidated A little bit of an forwards? enforcer, yeah. A little bit of an enforcer, yeah. <laughs> okay. You also mentioned that you're watching netball now. Yeah. Is that men's netball, women's netball? It's mixed? women's netball. There's a, there's a tournament in Singapore, the Nations Cup, that's been going, I think, since 2006, just after we moved here. And whenever I'm here, I, I go and watch it. It's the teams that are in between 20 and 30 in the world. So it's a, it's a team competition with six teams involved. How's Singapore doing at the moment? Singapore lost yesterday, and they probably won't make the final. It looks like it will be uh, Botswana and Fiji in the final. But uh, Singapore looks like they might get to third place. You're the president of the Brunel Alumni Association. Have I got that right? I'm the representative of the Brunel. There's, there's no formal association. I helped form it in 2015. The Vice-Chancellor, Julia Buckingham, came to Singapore and they asked if there would be an alumni association set up. So I helped form it and have been organising events since then. We meet about four times a year as a group in Singapore. How did Brunel get you interested in creating the association? There were two things. There was the 50th anniversary of Brunel was due in 2016 and there was publicity that came through the Alumni Association that that was happening and I was interested to get involved in that. Um, I hadn't had a lot of involvement with the university since I'd left in 85. And then it also came through that contact that the, there was a group from the university led by Julia Buckingham coming to Singapore to look at opportunities to develop the university and I went along to that event and and then followed up with the alumni association that I was happy to help set up the group in Singapore. So there's a bit of Brunel starting to push out towards Asia and me having a, an interest in both the 50th anniversary and giving a little bit back to Brunel after 30 odd years that I'd left. You hadn't been involved with Brunel, and I think that's common for most students. Once they leave the university or wherever they've been studying, they tend to push that behind them. Why do you think that is? I think it's something in terms of your experience. So the first couple of years, I, I did stay involved with the university. I went back to, to football matches, then get involved with, with your career and your, your, your family and and. There wasn't an active alumni association, so I think it's a little bit... The university weren't encouraging as much for, for alumni to be involved and tied up in your own career and family life. How many alumni would you have met through the Brunel yeah, alumni? So, as I say, we started... The first meeting was 2015 when the Vice-Chancellor came. Then 2016 we had the regular meetings, and we've, we've met about four times each year. I think our peak attendance has been about 20 for an individual meeting and we're averaging between 5 and 10 in the last few years. I think I've totaled up that it's more than 100 Brunel alumni that have attended a meeting over the six years that we've been involved. It's been a wide diversity of nationalities that have have attended Brunel, uh, a wide age range. I think we've got We've had some in their 20s to some in their 60s that have, have attended the, the alumni meeting so it, and, a, and a wide variety of degree disciplines. It's been a good experience for me to meet the different people and throw the Brunel name. You mentioned that there's a wide variety of alumni that have attended the meetup with various 
specialities. What benefits do you think that brings to themselves when they, they meet? And what benefit do you think it can bring Brunel in the future? Well, I think the alumni, we've had opportunities to discuss the placement of students. So I've talked about the placements I've done with, with BSF. Lawrence, who you interviewed on one of the podcasts, has had uh, students that have worked for him in Singapore and Eastern Europe. So we've shared our experiences on helping Brunel students. We've had various different meetups. Some of the Brunel alumni are linked with Henley Business School, which is not the main campus of Brunel, and that's been a, a different interaction. They've had their own, their own group. So I think it's something that is helping develop placement for students. And then on a general business networking we got very close to making an investment in a company that came up during discussion at one of the alumni meetings. In the end, we didn't go through, but the, the premise was that we were going to use Brunel students as helping this company that was going bust during COVID. So uh, we've had some business opportunities. We've had opportunities for, for charitable projects around BSF and opportunities for students to get placements. The other association you're involved with is the Bali Sports Foundation. Can you just tell us a bit about that? Yeah, BSF was formed in 2009 and I was one of the, the founding trustees. And the, the leading trustee is, uh, is Rodney Holt. I met him when I went to Bali and uh, was setting up a, a foundation to provide sports opportunity for disadvantaged in Indonesia and Eastern Asia. I was keen to get involved and Basically, I've supported the organization with fundraising, with providing volunteers, and that's where the link with, with Brunel has come in, with hosting athletes when they come to Singapore and attending events when we host them in Bali or elsewhere in the, in the world. So it's a, an organization that I've in, enjoyed being part of, and it's also linked very closely with the association with Brunel since 2015-16. So how did the link between Brunel and the BSF occur? That was me encouraging the link, and it was obviously the Alumni Association. One of the key objectives for the university is to get opportunities for students to have work experience and overseas experience, and they have a bursary system in place that will support students to come on overseas trips. And so it started in 2016, the same year that we founded the Alumni Association, that we had our first Brunel alumni, or Brunel students that came and worked with BSF, and they came and worked with my company. And so there were two that year, and we've then had subsequent years, apart from two years of COVID, we've had students every year come out to Bali, and also we've had some in Vietnam and Singapore. And it's been a program that has supported the students as work experience. We also did a trip with the Students' Union where they brought a group of seven that did some fundraising. So it's basically been my initiative with Brunel, but it's partly what the university alumni is looking to achieve in terms of providing work experience opportunities for students. What kind of students are you looking for? We've had a big mix of students. There's been a few that have been focused on sports, but we've had economics, we've had engineering students. I did a placement for two engineering students in our projects that my company had in Stratford. 
we don't have a specific degree discipline that uh, we look for. We look for people that are keen to get involved with charity and with helping disabled people in Indonesia. And then we've had a couple of specific job-related projects that were the, the engineering projects. It's open to all students. What benefits do the students get? There's a statistic that says they're more employable. We don't give a, a great deal of supervision of the students. So they arrive in Bali, they're living in quite basic accommodation, and they're interacting with the, the disabled students and the disabled athletes that we have. It's for them a test of resilience, a test of their initiative, how to fit into a different culture. The Indonesian culture is, is very, very different. And the students that have gone have proven that they can get a job and it's been something that uh, has been a benefit and I'm in contact with quite a lot of the students that have been on the program since 2016. In the previous podcast I spoke to Ben Clark. He mentioned that he was one of the trainers on the summer school and that he was returning post-Covid for the second time. Do many of the students return for more than one session? There's, a, there's only been a couple of the students that have come back more than once and Ben was not a Brunel graduate. That was the, the summer school that we initiated in 2019 was working with Bill Leahy and Charlotte Kerner, Dr. Charlotte Kerner, that was developing a program in disability sports management. Ben was linked to a charity, Regain, that uh, we've also done some work with in the, in the UK. And he was helping with that disability sports program. So he's gone back to Bali. Now, 2019, obviously, was the year just before COVID. 2020 and 21 were relatively inactive for BSF and for the Brunel alumni group with students. We still kept our meetings going. And so quick answer is a, a few students have, have gone back, but uh, many of them have kept the contacts with the disabled athletes that they've worked with and still have a, a network on, on social media with them. I think it's more than 20 Brunel students have interacted with, with BSF either on the assignments or the student trip. It's been very beneficial to BSF and the athletes with BSF. They like having Brunel students come and spend time with them and it's been very beneficial for the students and for the Alumni Association, it's given a, a little bit of purpose for, for that uh, as well. What about the future? How do you see it developing in the future? Well, we got for 2023. 2022 was the start after COVID, and we had four students that came out. Um, one was a, was a great success that we... She worked with another organisation called Yayasan Kahaya Mutiara Ubud, where she was helping to teach English, and uh, she's now become an ambassador for Brunel, based out of India. BSF activities were only just picking up, so we didn't have such a successful program with BSF in 2022. For 2023, we've got discussions ongoing with Mohammed in the uh, placement department in Brunel, and with the Vice-Chancellor as to what funding will be available and how many students. I'd say at the moment we're hoping to be able to select four students to go out in the summer of 23 for a work combined with BSF and YCMU, which is the charity where a lot of the disabled athletes work together to support themselves because dis disabled people in Indonesia don't get the same support from the government in Western Europe and so they need to be self-sufficient. So we'll be working with two different charities during 2023.
Can you tell us how any individuals have progressed since they first made contact? Yeah, so on the Brunel side, I would say the first student that we recruited was Max Sheldrake, who came out to Bali and had a two-month experience in Bali and then also went to Vietnam and to Singapore in terms of work experience. He graduated in 2017 and worked for three years with RCMA and he since has moved to Sainsbury's. We're still in very close contact with each other. I see him when I go back to England and see different sports events. I think for him it was a very positive experience. Uh, That was one of the first ones. Um, And then I think this year Fiona Mehta was selected as a BSF volunteer in 2020. She was unable to go because of COVID. We delayed it to 21, and she was still unable to go. We selected six different students at that time. 2022, we managed to get her to Bali. I went to visit in April, and then she arrived in May. It was a very uncertain time with the COVID situation, but she had a wonderful experience working with with YCMU. And she has now become the Brunel ambassador based in in India. She had a very positive impact on the students and the athletes in YCMU, helping them learn English and setting up a program for teaching English. There's one that's six years and one that's one year ago. But all of the students that I'm still in contact with have had a positive experience. For the athletes that are involved in, in BSF, the captain of the wheelchair rugby team a lady called Ratney, and she is also one of the leaders of the YCMU. I met her in 2013, and the first Brunel student came in 2016. She's interacted with most of the Brunel students over the time, and it's helped her improve her English, for sure, and she's now studying in university in Bali. Her experience with BSF, the interaction with Brunel students over the various periods has definitely changed her life. What else do you do? (laughs) My career is in commodities. I joined Cargill in 1985, direct from university, and I think the selection criterion for Cargill was very much based around sports. I've been active in sports. Uh, I worked for Cargill for 20 years in in commodities in Geneva in Germany and and the UK. Uh, And then I moved to Singapore with Noble Group, I've got a strong passion for the commodity market. I worked then for Barclays and Merrill Lynch, and then in 2011 invested in a company, RCMA, that was a commodity business that we then subsequently sold in 2018, which was a great experience. My passions have been sports and charity on the social side, and then my career has been in the commodity world. And then I've got a a family of a wife and three grown-up children, one's living in Singapore and two are living in the UK. What was the name of the company? RCMA, Rubber Culture Mashkape Amsterdam, rubber trading business. Right, so I'm going to have to ask you a bit more about that. So when did you start that? We bought the business in 2010, July 2010. It was an established rubber trading business and we got a lucky timing in the opportunity in the rubber market and so we made good money for two or three years in the rubber business. Then we expanded into other products. We did coffee, we did cotton, sugar, and then we went into electricity trading for Singapore. We set up a company called iSwitch. And then we also built a rapeseed crushing plant in the UK. 
and an oil project in Australia. So it was a little diverse commodity company that was built between 2010 and 2018. And then in 2018, we got an opportunity to sell the rubber business to a Chinese company, Halcyon, a Chinese-owned company. We sold that business and, and I exited RCMA in 2019. And now I'm working for another Chinese company. That Chinese company is in the process of buying back the Halcyon business from Sinochem. So it's been an, an interesting circle of the last 13 years in my career. So why did you buy RCMA? It was a trading opportunity. I bought it with two former colleagues that were also in the commodity business. And we saw an opportunity to buy a company that we thought we were able to help improve. And it was an established company. We'd all had a corporate career. I'd had nearly 30 years in corporate life. And so it was an opportunity to run our own business. Why take the risk? Why not just stay in corporate? It was interesting timing. It was actually the 2010 World Cup. And my colleague rang up and said, we've got the opportunity to buy this business. At the time, I was just finishing with Barclays Capital and I had an opportunity in corporate world. But I decided to take the risk. And as I say, it was an opportunity to become the CEO of a business, become a shareholder of the business. And it was, as it turned out, a very good decision. And a timing in my life that it was worth taking the risk. How did you assess the risk, becoming an entrepreneur or at least moving into at least a business owner? Corporate is safe. You know, you get your paycheck regularly usually and then, you know, if you get fired. But then if you're going to run your own business, there's a lot more responsibility. You said you became the CEO. How did you know you would be successful as a CEO or was it just a I gamble. Yep. didn't know that I would be successful. And I, I was actually investing. So there was no paycheck. It was investing more money than I was going to get paid for several years. And it, it was definitely a risk. I made the assessment that it was a risk worth taking at that time. But honestly, I hadn't been a CEO. I'd, I'd worked in, in corporate life. And uh, it was timing of the opportunity and timing of where I was in my life that uh, decided to do it. And very happy that I did. How did you become a CEO? Physically, you go in, say, on a Monday morning and you've got the title CEO, but that doesn't make you a CEO. What did you have to do to become a CEO? Yeah, I had to learn. It, I'd worked in corporate life. The CEO was dealing with the banks and asking for money for the business expansion. There were a lot of people issues where we had offices in US, in Europe, and across Asia that I was dealing with where the decisions stopped with me, whereas I'd had a, a corporate all through my previous career. It was very much learning on the job. The experience I'd had with Cargill, with Noble, with, with Barclays was very useful. But there was a lot of new things that I was having to handle that I hadn't handled before without supervision. It was a great learning experience and very happy that I did it. Can you give us an example? Well, I think the ones dealing with the bank, so Cargill and Barclays are, are very big companies. The money is there, and as a commodity trader, you don't need to check that the banks are going to support you with, with money. We joined in July 2010, and there was a successful time. The rubber market started to rally, but we suddenly needed to have access to more money because the prices were going up and we were borrowing money. 
I was having to go to the banks and set up new lines and explain, yes, the business is successful. Please, can we have some more money to keep our business running? Dealing with banks, I had had no experience until 2010. But in 2010, 11 and 12, I had to deal with many different banks in Singapore to support the growth of the business. And as we made acquisitions, we bought other trading businesses, we bought a tank installation, we went into the other products and had to each time convince the banks to continue giving us money. And that was something that I hadn't done at all in my previous career. This is me imagining it now. You walk into the bank, you hold out your hand and you say, can I have some more money? What's their reaction? Yeah, it's not quite like that. You have relationships with the banks that have been built by the previous company. But as a new shareholder, you have to go and walk into the bank or they come to your office and you present to them your plans. You have to show them your results and you have to show them how you're going to control the business and manage the business. Yeah, it was an intensive period of building relationships with The bank manager, so you have relationship managers for each of the different banks. And we were working with 10 or 12 different banks that we'd be asking for money and having to support our plans. It's very similar to going in in, as an individual, but it's a little bit more structured. And obviously you have support. We had a CFO and we had a finance team that would also be interacting with the banks to show them that they had confidence lending to us. Why did you have 10 to 12 banks? The banks like to spread their risk. I think our peak, we were borrowing around $350 million. It's banks wanting to share the risk between them. And at certain times, it was maybe only four or five banks at a time. But because banks would change their strategy or we would be doing other businesses, it would be interacting with 10 or 12 banks and some of them would be actually giving you money and some would be not giving money at the moment but potentially in the, in the near future. So it was uh, keeping that pipeline of money available for any expansions. Did you get nervous before you went in? No, no. Why not? I think it was something we were confident in the business and the business was going well. Uh, and so no, it wasn't, it wasn't a nervous time. We were fortunate. We didn't have any nervous times where the banks were threatening to take money away or that we had a a bad story to tell. Why did you sell? We were commodity traders. The business was in rubber and the rubber market had gone up significantly between 2010 and 2015 or 13 and then it had started to come lower. We had an approach and from a the Chinese company that uh, that eventually bought our business it's listed in Singapore Halcyon and we decided that they had much deeper pockets than we did and we thought it was was good timing to sell and they were giving a good price so we yeah decided to to exit as i say now we're with the current company i'm with the rubber price has still stayed low so i still think for the RCMA shareholders as we were it was a good decision to sell at the time we did and the ownership with Halcyon has been, has been good for them. And now the opportunity that um, Hainan Rubber Group, who I'm working with now, is buying the shares of Halcyon is also a, a good move. So I think it was good timing on all parts. And we had a, an enjoyable time between 2010 and 18. 
growing the business, but it was a good opportunity to sell. When you sold, was there a period of, say, two years when you have to remain with the business? No, we just sold. They already had people. Some people moved with the business, but I didn't. And so that was a good timing for me to exit. And then I joined R1 maybe six months later. A big thanks, Chris, for a great chat about the Brunel Alumni Association, your charity work, career in commodities trading and sport. Wishing you all the best. If you're a current Brunel student looking for work experience or to be involved with his work with the Bali Sports Foundation, feel free to reach out to Chris. And if you're a Brunel alumnus living in Singapore, we'd love for you to join us at our future meetups. Just reach out to Chris or myself to get involved. By the way, Pardee is spelled P-A-R-D-E-Y.